0: Hi there, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Map Around Show. This is the Built in California series. If you haven't been following along, it's been very, very busy for me and the founders I've been interviewing, uh, but with me on the line is another fantastic founder, which I'm super excited to tell the story of and connect you all to, um, and his name is Mark Anderson. He is the CEO of Icarus RT. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Matt. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, likewise, man. It's great to have you here. So um, why don't you uh, kick us off? So just what's the backstory? What's your background? Uh, tell our viewers and listeners around the world, like, who you are, what do we need to know?
1: Sure. So I've been in the power industry my entire career, which is long, right, over 40 years. Uh, started out in the nuclear business for about 15 years and then uh, a little bit of oil and gas and some uh, ended up in the renewables about 15 years ago.
0: And uh, Icarus RT, what is the problem that you guys are currently solving?
1: So PV panels are not very efficient, right? They're very prolific today. They're being installed because the cost has come down at a rate of 70,000 per hour around the world, which is wonderful. But they're not very effective at converting sunlight into energy. In fact, today's panels are only about 20% effective at converting sunlight into energy. And so... Uh, to make that a little bit worse, as the panels heat up during the day, the the performance drops up to twenty five percent a day as well. And so we decided to do something about that. And so, you want me to continue on there, man? No, no,
0: yeah, go for it, man, go for it. I've got your websites up uh, for everybody who's uh, on YouTube or okay. catching the video. Yeah, so so you guys are basically. I think it's important to kind of land this uh, the problem a bit more in the sense of, um, you know, Mark like what's the problem actually with solar panels? Like why does it get, why does its ability to produce power reduce uh, over time?
1: Sure. So um, I, so as I was saying, as panels heat up, their performance or the power output actually reduces up to 25% a day. And the, the panels are uh, designed and tested at 77 degrees Fahrenheit. That is their optimum performance temperature. And by every half a degree or every degree Fahrenheit that they um, go up in temperature, they can lose about four tenths of a percentage of power output. So that really impacts their power if they heat up to 140 or 150 degrees Fahrenheit like they do every day. And Matt, so- also to make that worse. The sun sets every day, of course, around, you know, at sunset, whatever time of day that might be where you are. But that's just when peak demand might be picking up. Like here in San Diego, our peak demand hours are from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. every day. (coughs) Excuse me. So most of this (coughs) solar production, excuse me, (coughs) most of this solar production has – tapered off or completely um, quit by the end of the, you know, at that time. I'm sorry, at four o'clock in the afternoon every day. And that's just when the peak demand hours are beginning. And that's why battery storage is so important today. But Ingress decided to take another look at how we could help solve that problem.
0: Yeah, amazing stuff. So I think what you've done is actually really, really innovative. So how does this actually work? So obviously, like there's a huge drive towards sustainable, uh, things, you know, environments, energy. There's lots of movements in, in energy. A lot of founders I talk to are specializing in the energy space. So how do you guys actually ensure that, you know, as solar panels get hotter, you know, it actually doesn't reduce its output by 15%? I mean, that's, there's something. Pretty secret and magical about that. I'm sure.
1: Yeah. So first we developed a heat extractor we call the heart of our system. And the heat extractor looks just like a solar panel itself and is actually designed to fit snugly behind a, a solar panel. It's a little bit smaller than the panel, but it fits right inside the backside of that solar panel. The heat extractor is the heart of our system. We also have a proprietary control system that we've developed, that is what we call the brains of our system. That control system monitors the performance of the entire system, uh, pressures, temperatures, the weather conditions, the utility rates. It knows the customer usage profile. It, It knows the time of day, of course. And all of these different parameters it analyzes in real time, and it makes what we call buy, sell, and store decisions all day long. And what it's doing is optimizing the power output and the heat collecting for energy storage for later
0: on. That's uh, that's really really interesting. I mean, um, when it when it comes to um, this type of technology, how scalable is it? So, I mean, is this something where that you're integrating into panels that you guys produce, or is this something that? You know uh, the 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 commercial building or whatever is installing these things. Is this something that they add to the existing solar panels that they have, or is it like a new thing altogether that they buy from you?
1: Sure. So a um, couple of questions there. I think let me unpack that. First, we designed our system to work with commercial and above size systems. So it's not today. It's not ready for uh, individual single family homes. It is ideal for multifamily housing complexes. Um, And in those cases, they use what we call commercial solar PV panels. Those are larger than what you might find on your own rooftop at home, Okay, So those commercial panels are larger. And we designed our system to work with those existing commercial PV panels. We can retrofit or install new. Now, ideally, we're installing on a new project so that our system is going up with those PV panels at the beginning of the the project. But like I said, we can go back and retrofit existing commercial panels as long as they're um, in what we call ground-mounted arrays or parking lot canopies, which are ideal for us. Those parking lot canopies we can retrofit. So, so we what- work with any commercial PV panels, by the way, Matt.
0: But is your vision, uh, Mark, at some point to go pure consumer or direct to consumer? Is that on your roadmap at all?
1: It is. In fact, our vision does include us um, developing our own PV panel that's integrated with our heat extractor all in one instead of attaching to another panel, but then also to downscale that entire system so that it is appropriate for single family homes.
0: And Mark, what are the sorts of outcomes that commercial installers might realize as an as an outcome of working with your technology on existing implementations? For example,
1: that's a great question, Matt. The, uh, the commercial installer is actually our customer. Okay, um, the end user is not our customer. We we're not going to sell and install our system. We're going to use commercial installers to sell and install our system. So that is commercial installer that you're talking about is our customer and the outcomes that he can see are an advantage over his own competition. Because when you add the Icarus system to a existing or you know a new project, either way, you are able to produce more power and hot water overall at a much lower cost. So to give you a quick example of the cost impact for that installer so that he can offer to his customers at a lower price, if it's a 100-watt system, today a commercial 100-watt system is installed, let's say, for $2 a watt. We can add another, uh, almost double the output, that 100 watts, we can almost double that to 200 watts for about uh, 40 dollars more per hundred watts so if he's paying two hundred dollars for that hundred watts we can add uh, we can we can double the energy output for forty dollars more
0: forty dollars to double my energy outputs that's a huge upside right
1: yeah and actually I should be careful there that's our cost to that's the the commercial installers cost that's his cost from us
0: mm-hmm. and what's that's the What's the feedback been like from installers? What are they saying about something like this? Are they like rabid dogs about like you know for forty dollars getting double the outputs, or you know is this kind of a well I don't quite get it? You know There's what's a the feedback bit been? Of both. Oh really? Okay. Yeah,
1: you get. Um, so we're working with some big names like Black and Beach that does uh, big commercial projects, and um, you know we're talking to others, Baker Electric here in Southern California as well. And and you know they're very excited. Those that we've been working with are very excited about what we're doing. And there's a little bit of a wait and see after we get some of these first commercial projects installed, and and uh, we do some reliability testing and that sort of thing, and kind of prove the performance because we are brand new, right? Mm. Uh, we've just begun these commercial installations.
0: So, Mark. Um... You guys are working with AI and ML and these sorts of deep technologies or that solve hard science problems. I'm very excited to maybe double click on that for our audience, because it seems to me being talking to founders literally every day, it's like if you don't have AI or ML or computer vision in your in your startup, like you're kind of missing a lot of the competitive advantages. So you guys are working with AI and ML and this sort of thing. How are you applying this technology in the solar space?
1: Well, Matt, I'll I'll go into that a little bit for you, but that's part of our secret sauce. One question we get often that helps to answer your question is, why haven't people done this before? Why Mm -hmm. haven't they been hybrid systems? And, well, actually since the 1970s, people have tried to develop hybrid PV thermal systems like ours. And the reasons that they couldn't do it over those many years were because the technology just didn't quite exist. And some of that technology that didn't exist was that machine learning and AI that you're talking about. And we're using those tools in our control system to make those buy, sell, and store decisions, to learn that particular customer's application and, and usage profile, and to enhance the performance of his system based on his particular needs and the weather conditions and all of those things. So that's how we're able to use, um, you know, those tools today where those weren't at hand 10, 15, 20 years ago for other people to use. Uh, And there's other things as well that we've been able to do today that um, just couldn't have been done 20 years ago. For example, we use nano coatings and nanotechnology to improve heat transfer. We use uh, different fluids that didn't exist years ago that are um, um, you know, much better at heat transfer. We use uh, 3D printing, for example, to prototype. Couldn't do 3D printing 20 years ago. And that had saved us a tremendous amount of money and tooling and that sort of thing. So we could test different prototypes as we optimize the design of our system.
0: Does that make sense? It does. It makes perfect sense. Um, I think what what you're mentioning or name dropping, as I like to call it, nanotechnology, 3D printing, AI, it seems to me like, in fact, I can tell you now, you're the only founder I've met in the last month that's working with all those sorts of, you know, truly disruptive technologies. When you work with these sorts of technologies, Mark, how hard is it actually? Because I think there's a, you know what I mean? Like there's a big need for this. And I think, if you don't have the experience of actually working with it, you don't get it. Like I've 3D printed like a watch band back, you know, I had, an, I had a, a startup called Kid Mogo, it was one that died. It was basically a, a tracking bracelet for parents. So you put it on your kid and then you could see on an app like where this child was. I need it now for my kids. <laughs> what was funny was even back then, I didn't even have kids. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. so So I've played around with hardware. And hardware is really hard. Like I would say it's probably like a 2X multiple on difficulty uh, than, say, trying to work or, you know, just develop pure play SaaS software, for instance. Not in all cases, but in most of the cases. Um, So how hard is it actually on the ground dealing with these technologies, working with these technologies uh, at Icarus RT?
1: Well, I'm going to push back on your 2X and and tell you. 4X, (laughs) in, in my case. Maybe I'm slow. I don't know. But... Uh, it's been difficult, and and uh, we've been fortunate, um, Matt, to have resources through Halberton Labs um, of the Halberton Corporation. We won entry into the third cohort in the Halberton Labs program in Houston, and they have done a lot of the 3D printing for us and guided us through 3D printing um, you know they have something like seventy printers in Halibur and and they definitely have the expertise within Halibur and then and they've really walked us through that learning curve. Okay, a lot where um, you, you have to be very careful. You the material selection is very important, right? There's many many different types of plastic, for example, that we could use. But only a few of them meet the temperature and other requirements that we have to have. So we pick out the right material and then go to 3D printed. And they say, uh-uh, it's not going to print well with that material. Better choose another one. So they've given us that. Also, M-Hub in Chicago has done the same thing for us. They have printers on site in Chicago. I actually hired uh, two engineers in Chicago, even though we're in San Diego, because I wanted to have eyes and ears in Chicago working at m doing 3D printing and it's worked out very well for us.
0: So partnerships I'm imagining are super important for build, you know, do working with these kinds of technologies to create a product like the one that you've developed for Icarus RT. What have you learned about partnerships and the role of partnerships in solving hard science problems?
1: Unbelievably important. So we also won a program called the Shell Game Changer by NREL uh, in 20, January of 2020, right before COVID hit. And through, we, through that program, Shell sponsored us to work with NREL for two full years. And we worked with NREL on a weekly basis where we'd get together on a Zoom call because of COVID just like this every week. We'd have homework, they'd have homework, we'd go over the results, we'd figure out where we were, and then, you know, assign each other the next steps. And then what we did was we took that opportunity to refine and optimize our design over those two years, where NREL is the National Renewable Energy Lab, by the way. So we worked with uh, NREL, courtesy of Shell, and we graduated from that program in April, And now Shell has been one of our biggest supporters or kind of like big brother armor on the shoulder sort of thing. In fact, they're bringing Icarus and several other startups to uh, Lisbon, Portugal in November to present at the big Web Summit conference, uh, November 1st through the 4th. And we're really excited about that. So that partnership is extremely important to us.
0: Mm -hmm. What about education? Because I think with something like this, I mean, isn't there a certain amount of knowledge that you have to have to be effective at working with these sorts of technologies? Like if you were to say 10 being super proficient and one being almost only like some knowledge of it, where do you feel to? to build a product using these sorts of deep technologies, like what you've done with Icarus, how much knowledge do you actually need to have scale one to 10 to, to actually start generating or creating real, you know, usable products and and the associated and solving use cases for them?
1: Wow. That's a difficult question, I think. Um, So I have a lot of experience and knowledge and, not all in product development, of course, but in engineering and in the energy industry, lots of connections. Um, those all helped, and that's part of that knowledge base I think that you're talking about. But not so much as in product development. So I went to the University of San Diego uh, Engineering School, and I mean, not as a for myself but I, I went there and talked to the dean of the engineering school and ended up getting um, a lot of support from um, engineers and student engineers at ucsd and the same at san diego state university i went there met with uh, dr uh, fletcher miller for example who's super well um um experienced in the solar industry. And, um, you know, they those two schools really helped us to identify talent to learn new processes. Uh, We've had uh, several students in their graduate engineering programs actually working on Icarus projects as part of their masters. So uh, that's been very, very important. I'm not sure if that answered your question
0: yeah it did i think that it's it's more case of you know you you want as a founder to work with the most enabling technologies you can and i think there's a there's a there's a knowledge gap that puts a lot of founders off like i don't know ai or nanotechnology you know what i
1: mean yeah me either matt just so you know i'm a mechanical engineer i nothing about ai and um my a partner developed all of our control system, and now we're working with Halliburton to help us to really flesh that out. And, um, but I had to, you have to have it. So, mm. you know, you can't do everything yourself, you have to realize that as well
0: yeah absolutely outsource outsource make it someone else's problem you just keep vision envisioning (laughs) that's my thing make ai done by someone else um one interesting thing i've noticed about icarus is that you obviously are a us manufacturer of this technology Um, and so in this in the solar space um i think it's it's a good point to discuss now around pricing competition because you have manufacturing capability in the East where um, oftentimes it can be done cheaper. If you're a US-based manufacturer, uh, sometimes you, you cannot uh, do it as cheaply as, say, you know a large-scale manufacturer in, in China, for instance. Um, And so that cost is then sometimes passed over to the consumer. How have you been able to like control the cost of production for something like what you built at Icarus?
1: I'm really glad you brought that up. It's such an important question. And, you know, it's been very uh, much a big part of our focus has been to maintain that sort of price point, you know, target which is only a target still. We're, we're driving towards it, but we're not quite there yet. But that price point target, and to do that, we plan to manufacture right here in California, believe it or not. Why? Back to those strategic partnerships, one of our biggest strategic partners, and perhaps the biggest, is the California Energy Commission itself. They've been unbelievably supportive of our technology. We won a very small grant way back four years ago or something to – prove our concept and and that went well. And we run to, um, won a follow-up grant to that one, which was a little bit bigger to do prototype work. And ultimately we won, you know, a um, $1.1 million grant from them to install a big project on a $1.4 million project. But you know what, Matt, we just submitted a $2.7 million grant application to the California energy commission specifically for ramping up manufacturing in California. And that would all be state of the art new, um, you know, using the latest technology right here in our backyard.
0: That's a, a huge feather in your cap. I think if you can build it locally, do it.
1: Yeah. And why wouldn't we with the wonderful support that we're getting from, you know uh, our own neighbors. So,
0: Mark, what? How would you characterize the the sort of trend towards sustainable energy production and usage in California at the moment?
1: Aggressive! Oh my gosh, <laughs> they're so aggressive. I don't know if you're aware, but in uh, January of 2023, the California Energy Commission has already enacted uh, regulatory you know, regulation that will restrict the use of natural gas on new commercial and residential construction. So there'd be no more gas appliances for your hot water, for example, in new commercial or residential construction. Hello, Icarus, right? That's a tremendous windfall in um, a perfect storm. Good timing for Icarus. Uh, so I I, I per- think that's a little bit aggressive, you know, um, Maybe they taper it off a little bit, but they're they're shutting it right out uh, on new construction anyway. So,
0: so what are your thoughts on uh, Biden's uh, clean energy bill? Do you think? I mean, that's a massive thing, right? Like that's huge. I was talking to so a front. It's huge. It's it's next level stuff. Um, and I'm curious because you like at the call face of like the benef one of the beneficiaries maybe of of the bill of many many others, but one of them for sure because you're in the space. But the clean energy bill, it's like some ridiculous number. It's massive. It's massive. The amount of money that uh, or support, let's just say that yeah. <laughs> the uh, the Fed's going to put into uh you know partners, the ecosystem, startup, all this kind of stuff. So, what are you? What are your thoughts on the bill? Like general thoughts on that, and then how much of an impact or shift is it going to actually create in the sustainable energy context? Stay with us. We'll be right back. It's
1: going to be huge, Matt. I mean, it, it's $373 billion. And and that's just the Inflation Reduction Act, the new one, right? They're still unpacking the infrastructure bill, the trillion dollar infrastructure bill from 2021. And that also had some a good amount of support in it for renewables and renewable energy. Um, I'm trying to put it in perspective. Remember earlier I said that uh, they're currently installing 70,000 PV panels every hour around the world. That's been going on for the past several years. That's not new today. That's that, that's an average installation number that's been going on for several years right through COVID. And it's, con- you know, it's projected to continue over the next couple of years before, before the Inflation Reduction Act and its $373 billion worth of support. I don't I can't tell you that's going to double or triple or increase by 50 percent, but it's going to have a huge impact. And it, even though nothing is released yet, it's already creating a tremendous level of excitement among people that matter to us, like investors. Investors are very excited. And a company like us, Matt, um, we've raised about three million dollars. $2 million from grants, $1 million from private investors. So for every investor dollar, we've got $2 from grants. Well, I believe that number is about to increase substantially due to the Inflation Reduction Act. And so my investors and new investors as well are going to be more willing to invest in a company like Icarus because they know for every dollar they put in, maybe they're getting $5 worth of Strength behind it from these bills.
0: The other thing that's worth talking about with you, Mark, is um, is the makeup of the labor force, right? So, if all this money is going into the solar energy space, you're going to need a labor force that can actually accommodate the growth. So, you need investment into education, skills uh, upliftment, you know, so that your your channel partners, in your case, your your installers, have the resource pool available and at scale enough to take advantage of this.
1: Exactly. And, and you know, um, uh, the country's divided up into many different zones, right? Opportunity zones and disadvantage zones and low income zones and all these different areas. And, you know, people say disadvantage and think that means that, um, you know, there's something economic about that. No. Disadvantaged communities generally have poor air quality or poor water quality or those sorts of things, right? Mm. Well, if you couple disadvantaged communities with low income uh, um, zones, they actually happen to be nearby often each other, right? And so renewables are going to help to clean the air and clean the water in those cases. A company like Icarus will install. You know, a lot of systems, I think we project to reduce 237 metric tons of CO2 emissions. Yeah, 237 metric tons of CO2 emissions for every 100 megawatts of our system installed. So that's going to have an impact on the air quality in those neighborhoods. And it's also going to bring good paying jobs right into the same neighborhoods like the city of Los Angeles, for example. It's going through this big decarbonization LA program by you know trying to reduce uh, carbon emissions in LA by 2030 or 2035. I don't remember. but um, you know a lot of the work that they do will be through solar applications like ours, reducing CO2 emissions, bringing good jobs to the community. So we think we're a part of that.
0: I know. And it's an exciting space to be because I know one thing to be true, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, all boats rise with a rising tide. Exactly. Right? So if you are Icarus in a rising tide of other solar technology right, or solar providers, whatever the whole ecosystem looks like, um, you're going to rise with that market.
1: Exactly. We are. And we're feeling it already. We're feeling the, um, the uplift already, which is wonderful.
0: I know. Funnily enough, uh, just got a, a stat, some stats to share uh, with oh. everybody. So this is a CES news report. So uh, today, solar is a fifty-state market. Duh, I know that one. Uh, <laughs> but it generates—here's what I didn't know—generates nearly twenty billion dollars of investment in the American economy every year. Wow, that's crazy. hey? Eh? And yeah. then another number is, uh, uh, it's uh, there's over a quarter of a million Americans working directly. Job, new jobs created. Um, of which 150,000 would or are directly involved in solar installation.
1: Isn't that great? It's crazy, yeah. yeah. And that's only going to, you know, increase substantially with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act.
0: Mm-hmm. And Mark, it's going to help yeah, us in so many ways. I know, and I think it's it's about time. Quite frankly, you know, it's time to change yeah. the way we do things, right? Yes, yes. Uh, um, Mark, so you've been on this journey for for some time now. So if I gave you the Matt Brown show time machine and I said, here you go, go back to yourself as Mark on day one of, found, of the founding of Icarus. What advice would you give yourself about building this business?
1: It's going to take a lot longer than you expect. No, <laughs> I already knew well enough to plan on doubling the, uh, you know, projections that we had and everything. Of course we didn't plan on COVID that definitely had an impact. And, Supply chain issues, you know, costs. Um, so, my advice would have been to be, uh, you know, patient, um, committed, and stick with it.
0: Mark, what's been the, if they, I know part of building a business is, you know, making mistakes and failing and stuff like that. What's the biggest mistake you feel like you've made, um, even as a team, um, that, Uh, you know, you learned something from. What is that mistake? What did you learn from it? Today or? I know, right? This morning when I was making coffee.
1: (laughs) So those mistakes would probably have to do with people. You know, um, you you. We develop our team one person at a time. Um, you end up putting a lot of time and effort into each person, you know, hoping that that person is going to stay with you for a, a good amount of time. People transition today more often than they did when I was coming up. For example, right? We, you know, I might uh, in my day a guy might typically have three different careers and is 40 year life you know career life or something today it's like every couple of years or less they change careers so i think there's something to do with people in that mistake that you're talking about that i would plan that whole um personnel training and acquisition effort differently and i do today because of what i've learned over these past six
0: years um, and just curious from my perspective, because I do talk to founders every day, pretty much all of them are battling with talent, talent development, talent sourcing, onboarding, especially in deep technology spaces. So like there's not many nanotechnology experts lying around coming out of university. Do you know what I mean? There are, but not enough in many cases.
1: I, you know what, Matt, I'll push back on that one a little bit too, because people are, there's a lot of people who are passionate about, you know, wanting to work in this industry. And they, they also want to be part of a startup. So we um, really haven't had trouble um, with a pool of talent to draw from. We never struggled to find that next person.
0: Mark, what's your vision for Icarus? Where, what kind of a world are you going to be enabling?
1: Cleaner, with cleaner air. Um, you know, much more reliant on renewable power, solar energy, uh, renewable, hot water, which we think is a tremendous addition that people never saw coming. Um, and I see a big business 12 to 24 months from now.
0: Well, super exciting stuff. Final question for you, Mark. Let's wrap this up. Why do you do what you do? What gets you out of bed in the morning?
1: I love it. I was up at four o'clock this morning just because I was wide awake laying there. I, I actually go to the gym Tuesday and Thursdays and I teach a spin class, but that's not till 545. I woke up at four o'clock and came right here and sat down and started doing some work because I was excited. Um,
0: yeah, so it uh, seems to me like you're very passionate about this. Um, I am. And I, I, am. And I love it. Yeah. Well, Mark, I'm super excited to see what you guys are going to be doing in this space. It is a very, very liquid market. I'm super excited to see what you guys or where you'll be in 12 to 24 months' time. Thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Matt. Can I ask add one thing? Yeah, go for it. Um, Icarus is currently uh, launching a new raise on a convertible note, and I'd be glad to share the terms with anybody that might be interested. Um, it's a big part of our day is raising money and to keep this thing going. So, just figured I'd throw that out.
0: There. No, you must. You must. You must, please do. I mean, everyone, everyone that's been on the built in California uh, series is raising money. So, if you're an investor uh, and you like the space that Mark's in and what the work that uh, you know the team was doing there in terms of like innovating in the space and what they've done with their technology, please do reach out to Mark. It's Icarus RT Mark. In fact, what's your email? Give it out if you don't mind. Sure, M Anderson at IcarusRT.com. Awesome stuff. Mark, thank you once again for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Matt. It was a tremendous opportunity to be here with you. I really enjoyed this talk, and uh, thanks again so much.
0: Anytime. Thanks, everybody. Cheers, cheers.